0: So Malachi chapter 1 is where we're at today. I'm going to read the whole chapter, so the first 14 verses you can follow along, and then we'll pray, and we'll get started this morning. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel, to Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick or that, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered in my name. And a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it. When you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that its food may be despised, but you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who who is a male in his flock and vows it. And yet sacrifices the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. And my name shall be feared among the nations father we thank you for uh, being a great king father you are the lord of hosts you are the lord of a multitude and father we ask that you would shape us through your word today god we ask that you would keep us from being weary in our service to you god keep us from being weary in our worship to you father i pray that you would keep us from half-hearted worship from half-hearted service Father, I pray that we may offer you our best because you are great. Father, speak to us this morning. Convict our hearts of sin. Lead us into righteousness. Bring about confession and repentance and restoration. Father, draw those who don't know you to yourself. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 2 really begins in a pretty cool way, I think. Uh, Verse 2 begins by God saying, hey, I've loved you, Israel. Uh, I, I have loved you, and their answer to that is how, okay? Uh, now, whenever anybody says, hey, I have loved you really well, and the next response is how, that, that's not a good thing, right? Uh, they're, they're saying, God, how? how? How have you loved us? Things are hard for Israel uh, at this point in, in as a nation. Um, they have sinned against the Lord, uh, sin, 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 idolatry, idolatry, idolatry. Finally, God takes them away into exile, Okay? Uh, They're in exile for 70 years, and then God begins to bring them back miraculously, to put them back together as a nation. No one thought that that could even be possible, but Israel begins to to come back. God brings them back as a nation, and they begin to rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. But things are still incredibly difficult. Enemies abound. Things are hard in Israel. And so often when things are hard, tell me if this isn't true, so often when things are hard in your life, isn't isn't that the time that we often question, man, does God really love me? Uh, does it, How has he loved me? Show me how you've loved me. And so the next five verses, so these are the first five verses in the book of Malachi, they, they are a contrast between Jacob's descendants and Esau's descendants. So if you remember in the scriptures, uh, Jacob is the one who God chose to bring about uh, the, the Messiah, uh, the nation of Israel, uh, the covenant, the blessing, the promises, all that was to come through Jacob. Uh, Esau was, was rejected by God, and, and, and so in the first five verses, you basically have this, this timeline laid out. God says, hey, look, look at, look at what happened to Jacob, and look at what happened to Esau. Look at what happened to Jacob's descendants. Look at what happened to Esau's descendants, and God is basically showing Israel, look how I've loved you. Look how I've loved you. He, he uses this, this, this phrase, I've chosen you, okay? Um, that he, he wants to see... And he wants Israel to know that God has put his favor on them by choosing them for himself. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, uh, the scripture says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were f- the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of the Pharaoh, the king uh, of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God, God has set his favor on Israel. God has loved them well. Uh, just let's, let's just have a little history lesson here this morning. Let's think about how God has loved Israel. God has chosen Abraham. God has set his favor on Abraham's family. God rescued Sarah out of the, the king's harem twice before she was defiled. God provided the ram and the thicket in Isaac's place. God chose Jacob to bring about the family of the Messiah. Jacob didn't deserve this. Esau was the firstborn, but God chose Jacob. God raised up Joseph in Egypt to be prime minister in order to save Jacob and his family from Pharaoh. Famine, God delivered uh, Israel out of Egypt through the plagues and then through the Red Sea. God sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness. Feeding them with manna from heaven and giving them water from the rock. God sustained them, even though they were unbelieving and grumbling and a disobedient people. God brought them into the promised land, brought down the walls of Jericho, protected them from their enemies. Even though Israel would rebel and worship idols and give themselves to sin, still God brought them out of exile, rebuilt Jerusalem. What do you mean? How have we, how have you loved us? Um Christian, in the same way I would say to you, God has loved you. Now it's very possible that you're going through a time in your your life right now that's difficult, that's hard, that's a struggle. And so maybe maybe your response to, hey, this morning I want you to know that God loves you, maybe your response is, how? How has he loved me? Uh, Things are difficult for me right now. I've got cancer, or my family's in shambles, or we're financially struggling. How has he loved me? And and I would go back and do the same sort of history lesson with you. I I would say, well, Ephesians 1 says, if you're a believer anyway, God has chosen you before the foundation of the earth. God has predestined you and adopted you and He has loved you. And even while you were His enemy, God sent His own Son to live the perfect life in your behalf and to, to die a cruel death on the cross to pay for your sin, to redeem you, to ransom you by the blood of His own Son. God delivered up Jesus in your place to die, to defeat sin, death, and the grave, and to rise from the dead. And now God has joined you. If you're a believer this morning, God has joined you by faith to King Jesus. He has imparted his righteousness into your account. You are forgiven. You are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You are made a joint heir with Jesus. He has loved you. You are his child, and he is a father to you. Okay? So, Just as as God tells Israel, I have loved you. And they're like, well, how how have you loved us? God gives a little history lesson between the the, the lineage of Jacob and the lineage of Esau. Maybe you're here this morning and I'm telling you God loves you. Hey, I want to give you a little history lesson of just what God has done in your life. And, And just to show you that you are his child and that he is a father to you. Now, the next question in the text is a very important one. Verse six, it says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? All right, so if if what we just said is true, and I believe it is, God is a father to us, okay? He's a good father to us. Then what is the proper response of a son to a father? Now, I actually think this question was easy for the Israelites, okay? I think Israel lived in such a culture, particularly with the law and the Ten Commandments, that it was really easy for, for an Israelite, any Israelite, to answer this question. What, what, what is a son's responsibility to a father? It is to honor his or her father, right? To not do so was actually sort of scandalous, okay? If you've ever read Proverbs, man, it, it gives a strong, hard, I mean, you're talking about ravens of the valley picking out your eyeball if you don't honor your parents, right? I mean, there's some strong verses in the Bible about about honoring. It was a big part of the Old Testament law. There were serious consequences for not honoring my, mother and father. In fact, the fifth commandment uh, tells us to honor your father and mother, and Ephesians tells, reminds us, this is the first commandment. When the promise attached to it. In Ephesians 6.3, it reminds us that the promise is that it may go well with you and that your days may be long in the land. In other words, there there was a blessing attached to to the israelite who would honor his father and mother and so israel's flourishing as a nation really was tied to them honoring the older generations above them actually a lot of cultures today uh live this way to this day uh, many asian cultures it is a paramount thing that you honor father and mother a lot of muslim countries in our travels throughout throughout north africa we've seen that there's a very strong attachment to honoring your father honoring your mother um I don't know that that is so much the case in the United States of America. Not everywhere, at least. Uh, We read a disturbing statistic the other day in in one of the books we've been going through in a group of guys. Uh, One of the statistics was that in certain demographics of America, not across the board, certain demographics of America, seven out of 10 kids are born out of wedlock, often with a missing father. And and so I actually think this question might be kind of hard. Uh, in America, I, I think it was easy for for the Israelites in Malachi's day when God when God says. A son honors his father, everybody's shaking their head. And a servant honors his master, everybody's, yeah, yeah, that's true. If then I'm a father, where's my honor? That that was an easy question, I think, for a lot of Israelites. I don't know that it's that easy for people in America. I don't know that we naturally assume that that's what a son or a daughter, their response, the appropriate response to a father. I think in, in, in America, there's lots of what I would call father wounds okay um lots of father wounds lots of lots of kids and even adult children walking around that really never had the love of a dad They've never never had the affirmation or the discipline of a father. I think there's a lot of girls and women who've never had the affirmation and identity and and love of a father in their life. And I think it's one of the jobs of the church. Uh, This is a rabbit trail if if you're wondering. Okay, But I, I think it's one of the jobs of the church that we rise up and take on that mantle. I think not only do we raise up fathers who, who, who live out their fatherhood well in their own families, but I think we raise up men who will be spiritual fathers, who will give affirmation and identity and discipline to, to young men and, and young women who did not have earthly fathers. Now, for others of you, I think it's probably an easy question. Uh, you, you may have grown up here in northwest of Oklahoma, especially, I, I think this is predominant or at least common, that you grew up in a family that highly valued and taught you to honor your elders, to honor father and mother and grandparents. And many of you probably grew up with, with parents and grandparents who live honorably. That, that makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? Man, I, I'm telling you, that, that, that's the kicker there. If you have parents and grandparents that live honorably toward you, it is much easier to honor them. And so for many of you, you understand, man, that a son owes honor to his father. Man, I feel that personally. I don't want to dishonor my dad. My, my dad has been a good man in my life. He's been faithful to our family. He's been faithful to my mother. He has invested well in us, in me, in my children, in my wife. He's an important person in my life. and so the thought of treating him as insignificant is a painful thing to me. so I, I kind of re- resonate with this. I know not everybody does. I want you to, but I want you to see the point of Malachi here is it's an obvious answer to this question: What's a son's responsibility to a father? And that is to honor. And so here comes the question in verse 6. God says, if then I'm a father, where's my honor? See, that's, that's the punch there, okay? If I'm a father, if I'm a father to you, if I have loved you well, if I have to Israel, chosen you, plucked you as a nation, and brought you out of slavery, and established you in the promised land, and even when you rebelled, and even when you turned away, and even when you blew it over and over and over again, and you had to be taken into exile, I still brought you back, and I established you as a nation, and I've rebuilt you. If I am your father, then where is my honor? Now, the word honor is an interesting word. Um, I, I i have loved I, I remember the first sermon i preached on this word uh it was when i was still a student and i actually think i blew it because i was so excited about this word that i tried to wrap the whole sermon around it i think it was a mistake now looking back on it but uh but but the word is a word that means heavy okay it, it, it means weighty uh, and, and that that helps me in my mind okay so so when something is heavy when something is weighty okay i, I think the, the way we would describe it in our vernacular is it's a big deal, right? And and so everything you do, everything you say, every all your actions are kind of pointing to this is a big deal. Em and I, and actually David and Krista, uh, we were in England uh, five, six years ago. We were actually coming back from India and our wives' medicine, London, and uh, we had a little chance just to... to uh, mess around and, and see some of the sights, and we just happened to stumble upon, we, we were coming, we heard all this commotion, and so we we walked kind of to where the commotion was, and we started asking people, and it, we found out that the the uh, president, I believe, of Singapore was arriving at Buckingham Palace with the queen, Okay. And so we kind of gathered around there and they had barricades set up. You could only go so far and they had police and security was thick in there. And, and so we 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 kind of stood there at the barricades and then all of a sudden, man, here here came a bunch of police and they just began to surround the barricades and then and then here came a band Right? And not just any band, but these were like dressed to the hilt, dress uniform, band, horses, leading and everything. And the band comes through and they go around the barricade and kind of this majestic, almost like a war music. And then here came the foot soldiers. You know, those dudes with the great big bear, bear hats, you know. I don't know. There's a lot of bears because they, they must, they, I don't know if they're all bear skin, but man, there was a bunch of them. They had, they, some of them had swords, traditional swords. and They were doing their sword thing. Others of them had assault rifles, you know, with bayonets on them and they marched all around and 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 then here came the cavalry okay waves and waves of of horses and all all these groups of horses were led by a couple guys with white horses and then everybody else had black horses and man they came storming through there and and surrounded the deal and and then came horses pulling cannons you know you would think that they'd have, you know, tanks or something. But anyway, the horses pulling cannons, and, and they set up the cannons in, in this barricade around there. And, and then here came just waves and waves of, of important, like, dignitary, security kind of people. And then here came some carriages, all right? So then all of a sudden here comes through the, some carriages, and, and, and they're pretty elaborate, pulled by horses. And we saw, we didn't recognize a lot of people, but we saw William and Kate in one of them, you know, and they buzzed by. And, and here came a bunch more And then all of a sudden, here came this carriage, gold. It looked like Cinderella, honestly. It looked like, you know, it was just golden, and and it had, you know, a big team of horses, white horses in the front, and horses on the side, guys with security, and and guys riding on the back of the carriage, you know, security. And, And it was the queen. And it was, you know, Philip, and I think he just passed away, but he, he was in there. The Duke, I think, is, is who that was, and, and maybe the president of Singapore. I don't know. We couldn't tell who else was in there. And, and they all come through, and everything that was done for about an hour was meant to say one thing. This is a big deal, all right? Like, this is a big deal. Now, we tried to get close, you know, all this comes through. And so we're like, man, let's get over to Buckingham Palace, okay? And so we start to go through the barricade. And and, 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 and all of a sudden, the policeman says, you, get behind the barricade, you know? And, and and what he was essentially saying was, you're not a big deal, all right? So you stay over there. We did get to go to the Tower of London. And uh, we went to the Tower of London, and here we come, you know, the, the delegation from northwest Oklahoma. And uh, what... We, here's, what, here's the way it happened. There wasn't any band, and there wasn't any horses, and there wasn't any, any guards, and there wasn't no, no security, nothing like that, but we did stand in line for a while, and then we paid money. And then they said, well, you can stand over here and look, and you can stand here and look, but don't cross over there. And and then we got we went up in this this little tower deal where they had these prisoners. It was really cool. They'd, they'd etched things in the wall, and we were taking pictures of that. My wife laid her phone down while she took pictures with her nice camera, and, and then we, we left that little section, and she left her phone in there, but we couldn't go back. And so one of the people that worked there, the guards had to get her phone, and they came, and, man, we got a chewing out. You know, I mean, like, it was, like, you don't ever leave your phone around here again. You don't drop that. You dirty Americans don't be leaving your junk in our tower, you know. And, and, and it was very clear once again, you're not a very big deal, right? That's what it means to honor. What it means to honor is to display with your words and your actions God, you are heavy. You are a big deal. And so God is asking, if I am a father to you, where is my honor? Look at the end of verse 6. It says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I then am your father, where is my honor? And if I am your master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? I'm interested in that word despise because it seems harsh to me, right? I mean, these are the priests, right? The, it's their job to offer sacrifices and, and to lead the worship of Israel. And yet God is saying to them, you despise my name. And, and I have to wonder, you know, when they say, how have we despised your name? I have to wonder, like, like, they weren't really hating God, were they? I mean, when I think of despise, I think of someone who's like, man, I can't stand you. But actually, the, the Bible uses despise in a little bit different way. In 2 Samuel, the, 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 the passage that triggered my memory was 2 Samuel chapter 12. When David commits adultery with Bathsheba and is being rebuked by the prophet Nathan, listen to what, what it says. In 2 Samuel 12, 9, it says this. Why have you despised? This is Nathan the prophet. This is God speaking to David. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil evil? In your sight. Now go to verse 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. Now man, if you've read the story of David, David would have never said, God, I I can't stand you. David would never have said that. But you see, David's actions during that time period showed that he did not give weight to the word of God or the person of God. And so what this clues me into is that it's easy to live a life of self-deception. All right? You'll notice this passage. Every time God says you've done this, they're like, what? Where? Huh? What? No. How? And what, what, what that tells me is that we need to be careful that we're not actually despising God by the way that we worship. That we're not actually despising God by the way that we read our Bibles or by the way that we serve the Lord or by the way that we give our offerings. It clues me in that it's possible to be doing the right things on the outside, but on the inside, God says, man, you're, you're despising me. Verse 8 is God's answer to their how. How have we despised you? Verse 8 says, When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those who are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, now let's hit the pause button here. Okay, I want to make sure that we don't leave anybody behind. You might be thinking, now What? offer animals as sacrifices you know maybe you're new to lincoln avenue you're like when does this happen does this happen at the end of the service you know no no it does not happen okay uh that we're not we're not doing that this morning let me tell you why we're not doing that okay so so malachi occurs at the end of the old testament but we're still 400 years before jesus would be born in bethlehem and israel is still offering animal sacrifices to god according to the instruction given to them in the first five books of the bible So, for instance, let me read you Leviticus 22. Leviticus 22, verse 19, gives very clear instructions about these sacrifices. Verse verse 19 says, If it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish uh, of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering from from the herd or the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as as a food offering on the altar. And that's pretty clear. Now, what's all that about? What all that's about is the Bible reminds us in the book of Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. In other words, you and I are sinners, and our sin is so bad that something has to die. Someone has to die to pay a penalty for our sins. And all through the Old Testament, God was preparing us, preparing his people for the Messiah Jesus who would become man, who would live a perfect, unblemished life, And then would die a brutal death on the cross to pay the sin debt for God's people. Jesus, the Lamb of God, would would shed his blood as payment for sin. But until Jesus came, until, until Bethlehem, until the cross, the Israelites would offer up a lamb without blemish because Jesus would be without blemish. He would be without sin. He would be perfect before God. And they were to kill the lamb and then sprinkle the blood on the altar because Jesus' blood would be shed and sprinkled on the altar in heaven. All of those sacrifices were a faith step of the people of God looking toward and waiting for the Messiah who would shed his blood. But here's the thing. Here's the problem in Israel, okay? The best of your flock, the steer that wins the blue ribbon at the county fair, that they're worth a lot of money. Right? I'm really surprised, actually. If, you, if you're into that FFA thing or that showing, showing animal thing, I, I, it blows me away what people will pay for some of those blue ribbon animals, okay? And, and, and so they're worth a lot of money. Now the sickly lamb, the, the lamb with the bloody diarrhea and the oozing tumor on his neck or the blind steer with the bloke, broken leg, here's the deal about them. You don't really want them, Right? No, nobody wants tumor steak, right? No, nobody says, hey, hey, did this cow have enough tumors? I, I really like mine with lots of tumors, you know? I, I, I really like one that's got dysentery, you know? I, I like one that, you know, died of, of, of dehydration from diet. You know, nobody wants those, right? They're not worth much money. Are you seeing the thought pattern here? So let's give those to God. I mean, God doesn't need them anyway. Let's offer them to God. And, and surely this had to come out of some Israelites' mouth as he's dragging his, his limping, blind, mangy lamb to the altar. Surely, surely some Israelites said, it, it's okay, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. What in your life says to God... God, you're a big deal. You, you see, if, if God is a good father and we are his children, then there should be really clear things in our life that say, God, you're a big deal. There, there should be clear things in our worship that say, God, you're a big deal. There should be clear things in our devotional life, in the way we read our Bible, in our schedule, in our prayer life, in our service, in, in, in our in our leading our family. There, there should be clear things that say, God, you are a big deal. God, we honor you. You are weighty in our lives. You're not a small thing. You're a big thing. I think if you looked at some people's schedule, if you just had... Here's what they did all week. I, I think it'd be really easy to see what was a big deal, wouldn't it? If you just laid it out and just kind of color-coded it, you know, here here's what they spent their time on. I think you'd probably see what was a big deal. I think you probably I think for a lot of folks, work and sports and Netflix and recreation, it'd be easy to see that's a big deal. I think if you laid out somebody's finances and look at their bank account, I think you could probably begin to see, hey, well, this is a big deal to them. They love classic cars. They love shopping for clothes. They love travel or hunting. So the the question is, what's a big deal to us? And how is that displayed? I think Israel would have said by their responses, how, what, huh? I think they would have said, God, you're a big deal to us. But by their worship, it was clear that he was not. Now, notice the second question in verse six. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Okay, so the the second part of that first part is, is God is a father to us and we are his son. The second part is God is a master to us and we are his servant. The, the word master there is an interesting word. It's the word Adonai. You, you probably sung songs even with that in it. it it's, it's kind of the generic word of the Old Testament for Lord. Okay? And, and, and so God is saying, if I am a Lord, if I am a ruler, if I am a boss, if I, if I am your king, then, then where, where is my allegiance? Where is my fear? That Fear is what is owed to a king, to a ruler. In verse 8, God asked the question, hey, would you offer these same sacrifices, you know, these blind, crippled, tumored, mangy lambs? Would you, would you give that to your governor? Would you give that to, to, to the, the ruler in charge? You know, if he comes to your town and, and you're, you're giving a feast, you bring that same lamb to him? And the answer is no. They wouldn't do that because they would respect his authority if God is lord if he is master if he is ruler then where is his fear his respect is all a lot of people struggle with the fear of god right it, it's everywhere in the bible and, and 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 i think for us oftentimes fear is just negative you know it's like rattlesnakes serial killers you know plane crashes like like uh, it's all this evil terrible stuff okay um and, and, and so we get mixed up in our mind but but i want to show you that actually the fear of God is, is, a, is different than that, okay? Um, Psalm 2, 11, I, I love this verse. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. Isn't that interesting? Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. All right, so you have you here have mixed rejoicing and trembling at the same time. And you're going to find that all throughout your Old Testament. This reality that delight and fear happen simultaneously when it comes to God. And that's because the fear of God is not like the fearing something evil or that will, you know, that's sinister or terrible or horrible. God is infinitely good. God is love. God has loved us well. We've already talked about that. But God is not to be trifled with. Do you see that? God is not to be trifled with. You you don't treat him like he's insignificant, like he's tame, like he's a pushover. God is is not someone everyone humors, but they don't take seriously. God is not your classical nice guy. That's actually not God. Now, many of you have seen the Chronicles of Narnia, and one of the best lines in the Chronicles of Narnia, I think about every time I think of the fear of God, is the kids are asking the beaver, Mr. Beaver, they're asking him, well, he's talking about this lion, this Aslan, who represents Jesus. And they're like, well, is he tame? And the beaver's like, no, he's not tame. He's a lion. But he's good. I wish I could give you specific examples of this, but it would be much inappropriate. But have you ever known a guy... A really nice guy, like guy that do anything for you, like just the nicest guy ever. But like, if you were heading into a fist fight, you wouldn't pick him, you know. Or or if 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 you were going to have to have someone stand up and go against the the city of Woodward, you you, you wouldn't you wouldn't get him. But he's the nicest guy ever, like just. Just super pleasant, always encouraging. That that's not what God is like. Okay, now, now God is infinitely good, but God is also a consuming fire. That's what Hebrews twelve twenty nine says. In in Revelation two sixteen, to the to the church, he says. Uh, Let me find that. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against you with the sword in my mouth. If you go back to chapter in Revelation 1, 14 and 16, it describes the resurrected Jesus. The hairs of his head were white like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he had seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp 2 edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining at full strength. He's both of those. He is infinitely good and he is infinitely fierce. And, and so Malachi says, if I am your Lord, if I am your master, if I am your ruler, why, why aren't you afraid to act like that? One of the beautiful mixtures of being a Christian is we cling to the cross We cling to it. And and with the cross, we have this complete confidence and security and and beautiful assurance that the wrath of God will never touch us and that we have this glorious hope of of heaven coming for us. But, but, But you know what we ought to be afraid of? We ought to be afraid of letting go of that cross and walking away from it. That ought to terrify us. And I don't, I don't understand the people that are not terrified of that. I, I, I've had people in this church who, who begin to walk away from faith just carelessly, you know, and not consider a big deal. And I go to their house and I, and, and, and I hey, well, what's going on, man? You're, you're worrying me. And they're like, oh, don't worry about me. I, I know I'm good. You have let go of the cross and walked away. You should be in fear. God is a loving father. God is a kind master. God is also a great king. So real quick, and look through here. Verse five, your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Go to verse 11. Verse 11 says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, that's two times, great among the nations and in every place. This this is an eschatological verse. It is looking forward to every tongue, tribe, and nation, to Jesus being praised from everywhere in every place, okay? In every place, incense will be offered in my name and a pure offering for my name, this is three times, will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And now go to verse 14. Cursed be the cheat. Who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices the Lord? What, what is blemish? For I am eight. Four times, great king, says the Lord of hosts. Notice four times, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of a multitude. And my name will be feared among the nations. God is a great king, He is the King of the nations. And so, what is an appropriate response to a loving father, to a good master? And to a great king. So, so what, think about what worship is. Worship is showing value. Did you know that's what we're doing? When, when, we, when we sing to the Lord, when we read scripture, when we pray together, when we, when we serve, we're showing value. We're saying, God, you are, well, the word worship, worth ship, I think it's an old English word, worth ship. You are worth, you are valuable. And so what is an appropriate response to the value of God? That's what we're aiming at. Every time we come together, that's what you're aiming at. Every morning when you wake up, an appropriate response to the value of God. Okay, but look look, look at their response. Look at verse 13. Here's their response. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it. And I believe this is a response to Malachi's word to them. I, I think this is a response to Malachi's word. I, I think Malachi has just challenged them on offering these mangy, blemished, crippled up animals on the offering and basically saying hey, it's not a big deal. You know, God's not eating it anyway. And then Malachi comes against them and says, You're dishonoring the Lord. And they you ever snort at anything? You do, right? Ah. Ah. Isn't that what snorting is? And they say, you see what they say? I've got this underlined in verse 13. What a weariness. What a weariness. You know what they're essentially saying? Ah, this, is, this is just too much trouble. It's, it's just hard. You want us to offer the best and we're, we're having financial trouble anyway. And you want us to honor you. It's just too much trouble. Man, I, I I man, I'm really afraid that so often that is our response to the word of God. Instead of trust and you are right, Lord. And, and quick obedience, trusting the power of the Holy Spirit to give us everything we need for that. I think so often we, we snort a little and say, ah, one more thing. What a weariness. Verse 14 is a challenge that I think, man, we could apply to every, every time we open our Bibles, every time we hear a word from the Lord, I think we could apply verse 14 to it. He says, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it. And vows it. I, I think what's happening here is I think he anticipates Israel saying, Okay, yeah, you're right, you're right. We need to do better. That's a commitment, right? We need to do better. And yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts. And my name will be feared among the nations. You ever read that verse in Ecclesiastes? It says a vow to the Lord is a serious thing. In other words, when when we come to God, when we say we're going to do something, we should do it. When we we say we're going to honor him, we should do it. We, We should pay our vows. Why? Because he's a loving father. And he's a great master. And he's a great king. And so what will our response be? I want you just to give a few moments. Man, I I think this is just a super practical passage. I want you just to give a few moments to ask in yourself, what in my life says, God, you, you are great? What in my life says, God, man, you're worth this, God. You're worth it. What in my attitude, what in my what in my service, what in my worship, what in my sacrifice, what in my, in my seeking of him says, man, God, you, you're you worth this. But what in your life, really, if you were to step back and look at it, what in your life basically says, God, you're, you're not a very big deal here. Let, let's answer those questions. Let, let's bow your head, and I, I want us just to think through that for ourselves. Father, um, we need you at this time, God, just to, Open up our hearts and, God, to reveal to us um, just our own our own self. God, show us, Father. Lord, you're a great father. You're a loving father. You're a great king. You're a good master. And so, Lord, show us how we might respond to that. In ways that say, God, you you are you are honored in our sight. You are weighty in our hearts. God, you're important. You're glorious. Father, I pray that you would enable us to delight in you and at the same time to to give you respect and reverence and fear. Father, we trust you. Lord, whatever we've vowed, whatever we've committed to, God, enable us, Lord, to fulfill those to be the people that you've called us to be. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.